Are snowless futures a possibility in the West? That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Latest data show that snow for this time of year in much of the West is below normal. And even across the country as a whole, snow cover last week was at its lowest level since records began in 2003. Snowpack in western mountain ranges provides much more than winter recreation. It acts like a reservoir, capturing and holding water for cities and agriculture. Now scientists at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory are warning that warmer temperatures could lead to low and even no snow. Their study concludes that as early as mid-century, western mountain regions could be snowless for years at a time if greenhouse gases continue to fuel climate change. Instead, they say rain will fall, but rainfall runs off or evaporates and doesn't infiltrate the ground as snow does. James Eklund, former director of the Colorado Water Conservation Board, told the Washington Post that there's an existential threat to the West. And not all water managers are approaching the issue with the urgency it requires. One of the researchers told the Arizona Republic that a snowless future is not set in stone, as there's ample time to mitigate carbon emissions. Sometimes being in first place is nothing to cheer about. Last week, a report from the National Academies of Sciences said the United States generated more plastic waste than any other country in the world, despite having only about 4% of the global population. Much of the plastic ends up in the world's oceans, the equivalent of dumping a garbage truck's worth every minute. The report found only a fraction of plastic in the U.S. is recycled and called current infrastructure grossly insufficient to manage the complexity and quantity of the problem. The study, which was ordered by Congress, recommends a new national strategy by the end of next year to reduce plastic pollution, particularly for items not reusable or recyclable. It also calls for alternative materials and better standards for waste collection and capture. The demand for lithium to be used in car and phone batteries and other applications is expected to grow immensely in the next decade. The U.S. has one of the largest reserves of the mineral in the world, but is not currently a major producer. Most lithium comes from Australia, South America, and China. One source of the mineral is the hot, briny water about 8,000 feet underneath the Salton Sea in Southern California. Already, companies are using this water to generate geothermal electricity. The water contains many minerals in addition to lithium and is very salty. Usually, after generating power, it's pumped back into the ground, and the scientists say they're looking for ways to extract it in an environmentally friendly manner. A report from the Berkeley Lab says that there are technical challenges to getting the lithium, However, a company called Controlled Thermal Resources announced last month it is beginning to drill under the Salton Sea and plans to produce both electricity and lithium in about two years. The company has joined with a startup backed by Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos to extract the lithium. And according to reports, the process is nearly carbon neutral and has what they claim is a net zero impact on the environment. 
And finally, the European eel is one of the most fascinating fish you've perhaps never heard of in an amazing life cycle. The eels start out as larvae in the Sargasso Sea of the Western Atlantic and drift across the ocean to Europe where they mature and swim up rivers to live. In one of the most mysterious wildlife migrations on Earth, after about 15 years and growing to nearly 52 inches long, the eels head back across the ocean to the Sargasso, where they spawn and die. In recent decades, European eel populations, which are critical parts of freshwater food webs, have declined by more than 95%. Most studies blame changes in ocean currents due to global warming, habitat loss, pollution, and barriers like dams, as well as international trade to Asia, where eels are a delicacy. But starting in 2007, the European Union instituted management guidelines to ensure that at least 40% of eels were able to make it back to the sea. Programs included improving habitats, banning exports, and even pausing hydroelectric turbines when the eels were most active. The program results have been encouraging, and recent eel numbers have increased slightly. However, restoring the historic populations will take decades of continued effort, so research organizations are calling for more action. They say just as the EU developed its Green Deal to tackle climate change, there should be an eel deal to protect their river and ocean habitats. That's it for This Week in Water, and here's our deal. You're hearing our reporting because of support from listeners. Visit h2oradio.org and thank you.